Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. The principles of Advent is this, that you come to the Christ by way of the Baptist. You come to the Christ by way of the Baptist. That's the message of the church over and over again throughout Advent as the church, as Mother Church keeps putting in front of our eyes, in front of our hearts, this figure of John the Baptist, his personage, his life, his ministry. It's as if the church is saying, you want to know who Jesus is, then you must first grapple with his forerunner. So, uh, over Advent so far and during daily Mass homilies, I've preached a little bit about uh, John's background, about how he was likely an exiled member of the Essene monastic community, one of those sects of Judaism at the time of Jesus. You know, evidence from the Dead Sea Scrolls found at Qumran, all of this, you know, explains John's self-identification with Isaiah 43. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. It explains why he wears camel's hair. It explains why he eats locusts and wild honey, all of those things. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Baptist from the mystical lens, from what, what Scripture scholars would call the sort of anagogical or the analogical sense of Scripture, right? Which is, in other words, what did God, the divine author, have in mind with this figure of John? What is he authoring? So one of the key texts for understanding John in the mystical sense here is a dialogue that he has with the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, who ask him about, like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? He says this, John says this, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. So according to uh, one of my favorite scripture scholars alive today, Dr. Brant Petrie, he writes this, that this phrase that John uses, the friend of the bridegroom, this phrase, it doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. It appears in the ancient rabbinic writings known as the Talmud and the Mishnah, which are the Sort of their commentaries on uh, scripture and their commentaries on Jewish life. So in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, the rabbis, they refer to a Jewish bridegroom coming, approaching his wedding, selecting a close friend to act essentially as his best man. In Hebrew, the word is shoshbin. So according to rabbinic tradition, when the time for the wedding arrived, the friend of the bridegroom, he had several important roles to fulfill. It was the friend of the bridegroom, the Shoshbin, who, who acted as the public witness to the wedding in much the same way that a best man or a maid or matron of honor do today. Furthermore, it was the job of the Shoshbin to, br uh, to bring the bride to the bridegroom when the time for the wedding came. Even more than that, though, the Shoshbin had a very interesting job that before the wedding, he had to make sure that the bride got a bath. You didn't take a lot of baths in the ancient world, and if you want to smell nice, your wedding night is a good night to smell nice. So, 
Shoshbin's job, make sure she gets a bath, make sure she's fresh water, make sure she's anointed with oils, all of those things. All of those things. So washing was the immediate preparation before the nuptial union, before the wedding. Okay, so with that context right there in mind, look back with, you know, John the Baptist. We can ask the question, John, what were you doing out there in the desert baptizing, quote, all of Jerusalem and all of the surrounding areas of Judea? Well, from this mystical perspective, John was preparing the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. That's what he was doing. I mean, pause and consider for a moment the, the reading we had, the first reading from Isaiah today. Isaiah starts off by talking about this barren one, this barren bride not bearing, and a husband and a wife gifted now with super abundant fruitfulness. Then he adds this, right? Isaiah adds this, speaking to Israel, for he who has become your husband is your maker, capital M, maker. His name is the Lord of hosts. Your husband is the Lord of hosts. The Lord calls you back like a wife forsaken. This spousal theme, it just is shot through the entire Old Testament, through the prophetic and wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Okay, so back here to the Baptist and this role of the Shoshbin. The ritual mikvah bath, the washing bath, which preceded the wedding, it was preparing the bride to meet the bridegroom. This is who Jesus is. He is the bridegroom. This is the theology that the church picks up in her understanding of baptism. I'm not making this up. This is from the catechism, paragraph 1617. The entire Christian life, the catechism says, the entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ and the church. Already, the catechism says, already baptism which is the entry into the people of God, is a nuptial mystery. It is, so to speak, the nuptial bath which precedes the wedding feast, the Eucharist. Christian marriage in its turn becomes an efficacious sign, the sacrament of the covenant of Christ and the church. Since it signifies and communicates grace, marriage between baptized persons is a true sacrament of the new covenant. But you hear that part. Baptism is likened to the nuptial bath which precedes the nuptial union, which the Catechism says is the Eucharist. The Eucharist, which is why John Paul II called the Eucharist the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. Now, this is a lot for 8 o'clock in the morning. Hope you're still with me. Okay. So Christmas is not just an ancient baby's birthday. It's the beginning of the unfolding of what St. Paul calls the great mystery, the Mysterion Mega in Ephesians 5. St. Paul says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This nuptial reality, husbands and wives, this, he says, is a great mystery, but it speaks in reference, points to Christ and the church. At the end of the day, this faith of ours, it's the drama of high romance. It's on every page of sacred scripture from start to finish, the entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ in the church, and Advent especially bears the spousal love, the spousal mark, especially Christmas. It's a nuptial mystery. It's what it is. It's a nuptial reality that the baby who's lying in the manger is not just any baby. This baby who's going to be lying in that manger, that baby is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. That's who he is. 
That baby is Yahweh, the great strength of the ages. He is the marriage of divinity to humanity. And he has come to extend a hand to every single soul and say, will you come and spend eternity with me? That's the story. And John, who we've been looking at, is the best man. He's the best man heralding the coming, heralding the beginning of the wedding feast. That's who he is, and that's what we enter into. Whoo, it's glorious. It's glorious. Amen.